uh, comes out of my mouth and only creates confusion, okay? Such is life, such is language, such is the life of 6,500 words spewed out on a Sunday morning. It will happen. Uh, In attempting to make the point last week that repentance cannot be a thing that we do in order to earn faith, but rather is an inextricable aspect of faith, I created some confusion. Um, The way I phrase things uh, was probably uh, clumsy to say it generally, and so I want to be clear and make sure everybody is clear, and so we're putting up here, so you can read along with me as I read this out, to make sure that uh, what I said last week is clarified in this way. Repentance is not the way to earn faith, but is essential to faith. Real faith contains a true repentance as a necessary ingredient. There is no faith without repentance. Okay? Okay. That will happen again over the years. I will be imperfect. I thank you for your grace. We will keep rolling, and we will have some fun with that. As we continue uh, this morning, there's one more thing we get to address. This is the fun part of my job. I like to do these things. Not so much, but this is the world we live in. Next, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia is in the news. Uh, If you missed it, A large gathering of uh, racist white nationalists clashed with assembling counter-protesters. A car was driven into uh, a crowd of these counter-protesters, killed one, injured many more. The driver of the car was charged with murder, among other things. And, I will tell you, because I have heard from many of them, pastors all over America are trying to decide whether or not they should address those events in their churches this morning. Um, At Covenant, we talk about this stuff. The events in Virginia were reprehensible long before the car was driven into the crowd. Uh, There is no place for racism in our midst. There is no place for hate. Uh, When word got out that the car had Ohio license plates, that the driver was from Maumee, it should have become very real to all of us. Hate is harbored here, too. Racism is a sin. It is not about history. It is heresy. It is opposed to Scripture. It is 2017, and we still have cowardly, insecure people basing their identity on skin color and judging and generalizing others based on theirs. Much of this hate comes from people who claim Jesus as Savior, somehow forgetting that Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jew, not a good old boy from the heartland. Plainly, 53 years after the passage of the Civil Rights Act, we have work left to do. So what can we do, becomes the question. As Ken said, prayer matters. So we will continue to pray for healing. We'll continue to pray for boldness in our leaders, for healing in our people, for hearts to be turned towards Christ. Prayer is active and it matters, so we will pray. We will commit to radically loving others, not even those we disagree with, but especially those we disagree with. As Dr. King reminded us, hate cannot heal hate, and so we will love. We will love radically. And finally, we will call out and root out racism that exists in our communities. We will start there and we will do something. We are God's people, and we stand together for justice and shalom, for true wholeness. And so we will start today together by praying now. Will you join me? Father, I have to believe that that hate uh, breaks your heart. God, to see uh, your children, your created people, and their beauty and their diversity, to see any consider themselves superior over another. Father, I have to know that that is opposed to your scripture, that is opposed to your character. 
So, Father, as a community, we just submit ourselves to you. We ask that um, you would root that out in our own lives, in our own hearts, in the dark recesses that uh, we don't often go to, the places that we wouldn't admit to others. Father, would you begin to do the healing work in us first, in here? Let us be a people that are honest with ourselves, that are open with our brothers and sisters, and that are the leading edge of healing. God, we pray for this community and this region. Father, that we would be able to display a true Christ. That those who hide in the shadows of hate and racism would be found out. And Father, that we would love them so radically that their hearts would be turned and opened to the way that you've created us. To the idea that we are to serve each other and love each other. And so, Father, we um, pray for our nation. We pray for growing divisiveness and uh, threats of war and um, just the general sense of unease around this place. God, we submit it to you and ask you to show mightily. Ask you to change hearts, to change lives, to change us. And then, Father, give us the path to walk. Give us the strength to use our hands and our hearts on your behalf. For your son, for your glory. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Eventually, we were going to get to the sermon. Did you know that? Thanks for indulging me. Psalm 116. This is week something. I don't know where we are right now. We're, we're in Psalm 116. We're working our way through a five-week series. Uh, we're excited about it. Uh, you check your Facebook or Twitter every single weekday morning at 6 a.m. You will find the latest devotional. Um, I hope you are enjoying that. I hope it is uh, life-giving and uh, life-breathing to you. I am uh, consistently horrified when I read through them after the fact and I find yet another typo. And so God bless you for, uh, for reading those, chuckling to yourself, and then knowing that it hurts me way more. Okay, uh, Psalm 116 up on the screen, uh, verses 8 through 11. For you, David writes, for you, Lord, have delivered me from death. My eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said everyone is a liar. Interesting. What we're going to do today is uh, these two ideas. There's two ideas that are going to kind of be pulled out of here. The first is this idea of being greatly afflicted. We're going to talk about what it means to be greatly afflicted. And then uh, the scripture is going to implore us not to lose heart. And so let's go through those two things. First, I'm greatly afflicted. Remembering his rescue and redemption uh, requires David to consider the depth of his deliverance, right? So his pain sounds deep. David has been delivered. It says his eyes from tears, his feet from stumbling from a place where everyone had let him down, which is why verse 11 is saying, everyone is a liar. Everyone has let me down. No one can be trusted. And yet he's been delivered from from death. And so he says, no one can be trusted. But then verse 10 is the exception. Trusted in the Lord. I trusted in the Lord when I said I'm greatly afflicted. In the ESV, the, the version, instead of it saying I trusted in the Lord, it says I believed, comma, so I spoke. I really like that translation. I believed, and so I spoke. Kids cry out because they believe that the parent is coming to see their needs. That's why kids cry. We believe someone is coming, and so we speak out. There are heartbreaking stories from orphanages around the world. And here at home, Romania, Uganda, you just Google it, you'll start reading it about dozens of babies that are in uh, rooms in silence because they cried out and no one came and they learned. It doesn't help. 
We are conditioned that when we cry, someone comes calling, someone comes rescuing. We don't cry unless we believe it matters. David says in his, in his affliction, he believed. And so he cried out. Paul actually quotes him in 2 Corinthians 4.13. Uh, it says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving for the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. And so what we see is we go from Psalm 116, Paul picks up on Psalm 116 and begins to pull the thread on that and extrapolate out what does this mean. Paul says in, in his own affliction, he believes and cries out. In his own light, momentary affliction, which I think is maybe sarcastic, or Paul is the most humble man to ever walk the planet. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul laid out what his light, momentary affliction was. He was imprisoned and flogged. Five times he received 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, which included being pushed off a cliff. Three times shipwrecked, days adrift at sea, hunger, thirst, cold, exposure, constant danger. And Paul says, light, momentary affliction, like a mosquito bite. I was greatly afflicted. And Paul is answering the question, what's the point? What's the point of this suffering? What's the point of this trial? What's the point of these tears? What is being achieved in the suffering? To which Paul answers, glory. Glory. What does that mean? Well, answer that question, I think something that could help us is, um, who's aware of the children's storybook, The Velveteen Rabbit? Anybody ever read this or have it read to you? The Velveteen Rabbit is uh, the story of this soft, wonderful stuffed rabbit that lands in a, a little boy's room and somewhere along the line he begins to wonder how some of these other toys became real how are you real and he, he begins to, to ask around he, he asks the skin horse one of his these toys that looks like it's seen better days fuzz is rubbed off and the tail has been plucked out and made into bracelets and it's just kind of it's just there and yes how how do you become real? How are you made that way? It says, real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's the thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. As sometimes, said the skin horse, when you are real, you don't mind being hurt, though. Does it happen all at once? asked the rabbit. It doesn't, said the horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, he says, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, 
your eyes drop out, you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all. Because once you are real, you cannot be ugly except to people who don't understand. It's a book with talking toys. And it is deeply practical and illustrative of what Paul is saying. Think about it this way. Think of the people you know who have lived sort of sheltered lives through no fault of their own. People who have never really been through storms. People whose uh, days seem to just be clear sailing. And I would say through no fault of their own, these are the people that you would mostly associate with a term like shallow. Recognizing that depth and wisdom come with age. Why? Because with age, there are just that many more opportunities to run through a storm. And the storms deepen us and give us wisdom. If you've never been through those things, you don't really know who you are. You aren't much help to those who are going through them. Not often the most compassionate with those who are suffering. Why? Paul says, basically, no suffering, no glory. But glory means weight, substance. And so what he's saying is when we suffer, we gain weight and substance in our souls. Ballast, term in shipping, right? It's this weight that provides a a certain buoyancy and balance. Ballast is something that can't be blown away. And so the more we've been through, the more weight, glory gets added, the more difficult it is for the next storm to come and blow us up of our feet. In that sense, suffering turns you real. As the skin horse says, you become. And I heard the chuckles, by the time you're real, your hair is gone and your eyes drop out and you have loose joints and you're looking a little shabby. Real cannot be ugly except to those who don't understand. That's why to one person a scar is a blemish, and to another it's a badge of honor. Because the one who carries it knows what they went through to get it. If you struggle to connect with someone who hasn't been through something like you have, that's this. What Paul is saying is suffering makes you someone who isn't blown by circumstances. That the glory of eternity is immovable and it is being conveyed upon us. So he says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. The suffering makes us real. So you can live without health and still have joy. You can live without money and still have joy. You can live without relationship and still have joy. Because Paul is on his third shipwreck. And he's still joyful. Suffering made Paul a person of glory, of substance, of weight, of depth, someone anchored to truth. And as God continues to sort of download that eternal glory into the soul of Paul, Paul is increasingly immovable and unshakable. So he says, don't lose heart. If you're let down and you're troubled, don't lose heart. And if that is what suffering achieves, if that's what it achieves, this greater depth and this wisdom, then how do we receive? How do we receive suffering? David receives it. Paul receives it. The hard part about suffering is the presence of it can ruin a life. 
and the lack of it can also ruin a life. How do we walk through life's afflictions in a way that prepares us for the eternal weight of glory? It comes down to this. Are you working towards God or are you walking with God? Are you working towards God or are you walking with God? If you are working towards God, a storm in your life is a setback. It's a rejection of your direction. The wind hits and we realize we're not going as quickly as we wanted to towards this thing we're aiming for. And we figure there must be something that, that the Almighty is telling us because the storm is obviously a rejection of my direction. If you are walking with God, he is with you and the storm becomes part of how you are being loved real. If you look at it in the way that Paul does. That the storm is just one more opportunity for us to grow in depth and in hope and in joy in something greater than the place we are today. Whether trials and suffering destroy us or deepen us comes down to this. Are you walking, are you working towards God or are you walking with God? There was a time when every grandmother in every home in America had that uh, old footprints poem somewhere. It was in the guest bathroom. It was always somewhere. And there was only one set of footprints. It was when he carried me. And it was frequently made fun of by edgy, relevant pastors. And yet it's beautiful. It's right. It's this. God is not a thing we are working towards. He's a loving creator who we are related to and walking with. When the temptation to overcome suffering uh, comes upon us, there are all these different ways we attempt to do it. One of the most common ways is to overload our lives with good things. Well, I'm suffering, so if I just counterbalance this suffering with a weight of other good things, what we learn is that won't work. That isn't the way to joy. We have to actually lean into the suffering. Hebrews 12, 2, look to Jesus for the joy set before him endured, suffered the cross. Jesus, for the joy set before him, for the eternal weight of glory that was being held out, Jesus looked at the cross and endured. So you and I look at Christ. You and I have been given, we've been given Christ, we've been left God incarnate in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the ability within us to look at suffering and say, for the joy set before me, for the eternal weight of glory being given to me, I can endure this. Meaning there is joy in the midst of the trial. That this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. Puritan John Flavel from the 17th century, he says this. All good things lie in the vision of God as all rivers come from and are in the ocean. All good things in the vision of God are like rivers that come from and to the ocean. Those are the good things. Why are your emotions and minds unsatisfied by all the things you see, by all the things you experience here? Just as you bring a great ship into a narrow channel and she cannot sail but runs aground, yet if you give her a sea, room, and depth, she runs like the wind, so it is like with this. This is where he makes his point. He says, all that delights you on earth, all the comforts that we have here are like droplets, inflaming and not satisfying the appetites of the soul. Only the lamb leads you to the fountains of living water. What he's saying, he's talking about joy. He says, don't mistake the river that you're on for the ocean that you're headed towards. Don't mistake this bend in the river, this turn in the river as the thing that's your, your, your end in being. 
that around a couple more turns, there's the wideness of the ocean, there's the beauty of the depth that you can't even imagine from this part in the rapids. That this moment is simply leading you to another moment. That these things that we look to for comfort, relationships and status and power and material things, they will not satisfy you. But God uses them to create an even deeper longing within you. They inflame your longing for the one true thing that satisfies. This drop that falls is supposed to be an indication that there's something greater out there. There's, this is just a taste of what exists when we make that last bend and sail into the ocean of eternity. And that should excite and inflame our deepest passions, not to end on those passions, but to pursue them with the end being Christ. So then we, being people who live lives that are pockmarked with problems, we can look at these things, we can look at this life, we can, like David or like Paul, we can rest in something greater than the problem that we're in at the moment. Rest in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We can know perfect security and satisfaction. We can experience now on the river that which will one day be our eternity in the ocean. We are delivered. So we can walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So as Paul would say, don't lose heart. Everyone in the room is in a battle. Big or small, known or secret, everyone in the room is fighting something. Some are suffering big and some are suffering small, suffering out in the open and others are being tormented in their own quiet souls. And Paul says, and David says, and I say, don't lose heart for this light momentary affliction. This bend in the stream on the way to the ocean is preparing us for something far greater, for an eternal weight of glory that God has promised to us, will deliver to us, and in Christ we already have. Let's pray. Lord, we are a, a people, your children. Father, affliction sends us running to anything that provides comfort, to anything that will heal the pain in the moment. Father, we would confess that often where we run is not to you. Where we cry out is not to a loving parent. And so, Father, I pray that you would redirect our hearts in that way, that you would encourage the hurting souls in this room, that those fighting a, a battle in private, God, they would feel your presence and they would know that they are not alone, that there is no, uh, no chance in this universe that we can truly be isolated. But your word says you are here, you are with us. So I pray that as a community, we would come around those who hurt, and we would hurt together. God, for those that are fighting these battles, big and small, for every heart in this room, I pray that you would remind us that there is something greater on the way, and that these afflictions, these moments, these bends in the river, Father, remind our hearts, instill in us that these are but droplets. These are but moments 
So God, give us greater passion for you. Greatest passion for, for judge, uh, justice and, and hope. God, turn our affliction into a moment of hope for another. Turn our suffering into a, a deeper bed of wisdom for us to live out of. God, that we might be a people that you would smile upon and be proud of. Father, you know us, you created us, you love us. I pray that you would work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.